When something happens to your kitchen, you might say, This is ludicrous. But that won't fix your home. That will only get you the rapper, Ludicrous. Having trouble? Don't panic. Don't be alarmed. You need to file a claim? Holler at State Farm. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. That's right. You can file a claim on the app or call us. Thanks, Mr. Chris. No matter how ludicrous the situation, like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. State Farm, Bloomington, Illinois. Black on the Scene is a love letter to black creators, black content, and black voices who are helping to drive change and representation and entertainment. I'm John Gist, here with my co-host, Didi Brown, and we are two industry professionals that have worked on some of the most iconic multicultural film and television campaigns over the years. The Black on the Scene podcast will highlight the many accomplishments of black folks across film, TV, music, art, literature, and sports that celebrate diverse and nuanced stories which embody our culture. In each episode, we shout out and give flowers to some culture contributors and creators that you know and those you should know for being Black on the scene. So let's get into this episode. Hey, we are back with another episode of Black on the Scene. I'm Dee Dee Brown, joined by my other half, the mighty, mighty John Gist. Today, we have superstar, publicist, producer, marketer, brand marketer, and entrepreneur, the Ernest Dukes. Yes, Didi, yes. And, you know, Didi, as we all know, the Black publicist world is so small. So I've always personally heard his name years and years ago. But I also knew we were, we knew some of the same people, but I figured we would cross paths eventually. And that we did. I was able to witness the pure genius and work ethic of Ernest Dukes on a few projects we worked on at BET. Ernest, I call him, is one of the smartest in the business. He is the owner of the Nottingham Group, a premier boutique PR firm based in L.A., and in working with him, I've seen how he truly creates magic and that he that, that that is due to his level of unmatched hustle and determination. Ernest, I heard about you, obviously, before John started working with you. And then I just kept hearing, Didi, Ernest, you just we have to figure out a way to work with him. Ernest, Ernest, Ernest. And let me tell you, John does not sing everybody's praises. But listen, I just want to shout out that you work with a variety of clients that include Fashion Nova, Nick Cannon, Keisha Cole, K. Michelle, Jeezy, 112, and more, in addition to marketing and branding. Ernest also has had his hand in the television industry with producing credits on From the Bottom Up, Bonnet Chronicles, and Keisha Cole's All In, plus quite a bit more. Let's give a round of applause for Ernesto. Ernest, 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 Ernest. Yeah, I love y'all. That was good. I was, <laughs> a little here. I was like, all right. <laughs> you got you got receipts, my friend. How are you? How are you doing? I'm good. How are y'all? We're good. We're good. Didi and I have been we've been prepping all morning, and we we're so, we we're like, oh my god, we have so much to talk to him about. Really? But first, Ernest, I want to go back to 2018. And I'm sure you know what I'm talking about. But I want to go back to uh, Jay-Z and Beyonce's On the Run tour. You had this jacket that you you wore that went viral. It was a whole moment. 
And that jacket, for for those who don't know, is the jacket. The jacket. It read Beyonce's publicist is black, which is such a very simple, very uh, factual statement, but it has so much power behind it, right? And Mm -hmm. I want to go back to like your thought process and the why you did that. Like, why did you decide to like walk us through that? What that process was because that also was like a domino effect for other things to, to happen in your life. Yeah, for sure. Um, I call it the magic jacket because like so many things came uh, by way of the jacket. And I had no idea any of that stuff would happen. Like, honestly, I like the week prior to that concert, I was meeting with an agent, a talent agent. We're trying to get this client. Um, And she was a black, a black woman, well-known actress. And everything was going well. They're like, send over the contract and the invoice. And so when you're a publicist and they say, send over the contract and the invoice, you be feeling like the money's already in the bank. It's like, all right, we good. We going. I'd announce it on my Instagram, like new client alert, blah, blah, blah. And then literally like uh, a couple of days before that concert, he called and was like, oh, so she decided to go with somebody else. And him and I are friendly. So he's like, you know, off the record, you know, she wanted to go with somebody white because she wanted to get white press as well. She didn't want just black press. Um, and I'm like, well, why would you think that just because I'm black, all I can do is get you black press? Um, which is something that I honestly heard uh, throughout my career, but I never put a lot of like energy into it. I'm like, okay, it sounds dumb as hell to me, but okay, whatever. But it was the first time someone had ever said it to me as a reason as to why they didn't want to hire me. And so I'm like, well, Beyonce's publicist is black and she's on everything. And literally the, the guy was like, her publicist isn't black. Like maybe that's her indie publicist, but her actual publicist is not black. She's white. And I'm like, well, who? Because all I know is Yvette Noel Shore. And they're like, they're Googling it. And they're like, oh, I guess you are right. You know, she is black. Still didn't get the client, though. They weren't like, all right, well, let's reconsider. They was like, all right, well, get your black ass out of here. Shout out to Beyonce and her and her publicists, whatever. And so when I was going to the concert, I'm like, I had remembered saying that. And I'm like, I'm going to see if I can get a jacket done. And I went to this, like, uh, vintage store in L.A. It's called Iguana. Because I needed to find the jacket first. And so I found the jacket and no one could embroider it. At first, I thought I was going to do like a heat stamp on it. They're like, you can't because it's like what it's made of. And so I went to the Grove and there was like a kiosk. And I'm like, can you embroider something? I need it today. And they was like, sure, come back in an hour. And then I got the jacket. And literally, the first thing that happened when I got to the, to the show, I ran into June Ambrose, which I don't know her from anywhere. But she knew someone that I knew. And so she saw the jacket, took a picture of it. And was like, I'm going to send this to Yvette, you know? And I'm like, all right, cool, whatever. I never thought I would meet her. I didn't know her from anywhere. Never had talked to her before or anything. And literally, we're sitting there. It sounds like such a Hollywood story. I'm sitting there with Kim Kardashian and Kris Jenner, enjoying the show, filming the show, singing my little heart out to resentment. And then all of a sudden, I feel like a tap on my shoulder. And I'm like, what the fuck? And it was Yvette. And she was like, oh, my God. You know, June sent me the photo. Like, we have to take a picture together. So she pulled out her phone and took the picture. Um, and she's like, send your number. I'm going to text it to you. So I sent her my number. She sent me the picture. And I thought that was the extent of our interaction. And the next day she called me and she's like, yo, I totally understood what the jacket meant. And so she told me a story about how um, people tried to do that to her throughout her career, even with Beyonce. Like She said a story when they're on um, some shoot for like a magazine and like another publicist came and brought Beyonce a watch. And was like, hey, we want to give you a watch. Like, we would love to meet with you, which is so bold because, like, your publicist is here, you know? And I think people think that, like, oh, a lot of times you'll see someone who has um, a black publicist and you'll think, oh, they got lucky. Like, maybe they started with them or um, it's just, like, someone from around the way. Like, my friend Patience went through that with Cardi B. 
because uh, she had her before Love and Hip Hop. And so they're like, oh, she just got lucky. Like, she's just here because of chance or whatever. Like, kind of discrediting, like, the fact that you are talented and you do have skills. And so she said it was funny on that shoot when the girl gave Beyonce the watch. She's like, oh, thank you so much. She's like, uh, can you give it to Yvette for me, my publicist? And it was weird because the girl's like, oh, shit. Like, I was trying to be on the low with this, and now you want me to go give it to your publicist. Like, Beyonce's not dumb. And then she also told me a story about how when she was working with John Legend, they brought in a white agency because they wanted him to get on the cover of Rolling Stone. And they're like, well, you know, this agency could do it because they're white, you know? And to this day, he still has not been on the cover of Rolling Stone. So I don't think it's a testament to, like, anyone's color. Like, sometimes things just are not for you. Um, And from there, it just kind of grew into more. Like, she brought in some other friends of hers, um, Vanessa Anderson, who does uh, Issa Rae. And she brought in Erica Tucker, who at the time had, um, who did she have at the time? Yara Shahidi. And then we had Felicia Fant. And we just brought all these people together and we became like this like super group of like black publicists. We had no direction. We didn't know what it was. We just knew there was a conversation that needed to be had and we were interested in having it. And so from there we did uh, nationwide events. Like we did one at Langston Hughes House, I believe in um, Harlem. We did one at the Beverly Wilshire. We've done them all over the place. And now we've turned it into like a 5013C, like a nonprofit. Um, to just kind of help other publicists who are coming behind us who need that sort of guidance. Because when I started, there was no one who looked like me. And there was very few black publicists, but then when you add black male publicists, it's like, ain't nobody really out here like that. And so I learned a lot through trial and error. And so our goal is that moving forward that we can kind of eliminate some of the error. (laughs) You can learn. They said, uh, uh, what they say, a smart person learns from their mistakes, but a wise person learns from the mistake of others. And so we're just trying to you know, give some of that wisdom to the people who are coming behind us. I mean, if that's not an amazing story, I mean, it's, it's, that's so, that's so Come on, crazy. John and I'll be fighting over the next question, but since you're John's friend, I will let John take it. Yes. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Well, I just, first of all, just thank you for sharing that story. I think that's amazing. Love, love all those amazing people you've had and, and Felicia and um, Vanessa, Erica, all those are rock star publicists. So definitely shout out to them. Um, but, you know, like, let's talk about that because like, I want, now I want to go back further to like your upbringing, right? Of like what your knowledge When something happens to your kitchen, you might say, This is ludicrous. But that won't fix your home. That will only get you the rapper, Ludicrous. Having trouble? Don't panic. Don't be alarmed. You need to file a claim? Holla at State Farm. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. That's right. You can file a claim on the app or call us. Thanks, Mr. Chris. No matter how ludicrous the situation, like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. State Farm, Bloomington, Illinois of PR was like, how did you come into that actual career? For me, I didn't know anything about PR until college, Um, let alone like, you know, what I could do from an entertainment perspective. So like, what was your first kind of introduction of the publicity world? And then how did you continue to go into it? So so it always, I guess, surprises people when I say I never went to college. Um, I didn't, I never went to college. Like even in high school, I'm like, oh, I need to get money. Like, you know, a lot of times like you want real life experience or do you want like education, like in a classroom? And I'm like, I'd rather take the real life experience because it comes with some real life money as well. And so my first introduction, well, I'll go back a little further. Um, I never knew what a publicist was. I grew up in Orange County and I would always commute back and forth to LA because I wanted to do acting initially. 
And when I got here and I saw all these actors that they were like so perfect and like everyone was like kind of like well packaged. I'm like, maybe this is not for me. Like this, I, I, I can never be these people. Like they just seem so, I don't want to say inauthentic, but they had a way of um, presenting as though like, you know, like the perfect like Disney kid or whatever. And I was like, mm, no, it's not for me. So I'm like, I know all these people by way of acting classes. Um, like I knew Kiki Palmer and Kofi from Queen Sugar and Quincy and all these different people and Kyle Massey, who I grew up with. And I'm like, I know these people. They're always booking these things. I can't book nothing. Like I literally, and I don't know if it was like, uh, uh, I don't think it was a lack of talent because I, I feel like I'm a great actor. I act like I like people every day of my life. I'm like, hey, yeah. Like I, I feel like I've mastered the art of acting. Um, but I think it was like a lack of, of resources and opportunity. Like I didn't have... I looked, I found like an old picture of like my headshot. It was something I went to the mall and got at like the one hour photo. So already you knew your ass wasn't getting booked. Okay. Like everyone had a real photographer and my shit had like the stars and like it was a mess. Right. So I thought like, well, what can I do? I know these people. Like how can I monetize? And so one of my friend's mom, she was a publicist for Matthew Knowles at the time, another Beyonce, like, you know, reference. And so she was working at Music World and doing Solange and all these different people. And so I was just talking to her one day, like, what do you do? Like, how do you make money? Blah, blah, blah. And it sounded easy to me because the bulk of it was writing and relationships. And I said, well, I'm a great writer. I love writing and I have great relationships. So I'm like, I would love to learn. So she let me intern for her. And so the first day she said, bring your computer to work. Um, mind you, I lived like an hour and a half from her office and I brought my computer to work. I didn't have a laptop though. And I don't think she knew I didn't have a laptop. I had a desktop Windows computer. And so I got a little roller bag, packed my shit. I had the speakers and the, the modem and the, everything. And I got to her office and she's like, okay, well, you know, get your computer out. She left and when she came back in, I had to set up this whole computer. And she saw it and was like, oh, okay, no, 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 it's not going to work. We're going to work remote. That was before the pandemic and all that stuff. This is like over 10 years ago. She's like, we're going to work, work remote because like you ain't going to be bringing no computer to my office every day. Like it was crazy. In hindsight, if somebody did that to me, I would probably recognize like, you know, their hunger because of what I went through. But I would still be like, damn, this is this is going to mess up my aesthetic. Like, you know, I want to see this. And it was loud. You know, it probably had a virus. It was humming and shit. Um, so she was just like, nah, nigga. Um, <laughs> Girl, it ain't that damn funny. <laughs> it is. All right, this is the best story I've heard in a long time. Because the visual of it is so... Mm-hmm. I, I don't mean to interrupt you, but I'm laughing because you're basically showing us your whole heart, how eager you were, how... Very eager. How authentic you were, how, just that you were showing up, like, I'm going to figure this out and I'm just going to wear my heart on my sleeve. Like, that you were, like, undaunted by anything. You're like, I'm going to pack this... Yeah. Big old computer up and I'm driving an hour and a half. It's yeah. just a great story to me. And I'm just, my heart is full just hearing about how earnest you were, even <laughs> like from the start. Yeah. Um, so from there, I learned some things from her. And you know me just being, uh, I guess, overly ambitious sometimes. I'm a, I feel like I've learned enough. Okay. You press release, a contact list. All right, cool. I'm going to get up out of here and start my own business. And I did. I started my own business probably very prematurely. Um, and the way I started it, people were like, well, how did you start it? Did you have someone set it up for you? Absolutely not. I created a logo on Microsoft Paint. There was like the paint program. I created a little logo and a website. And I'm like, I have a business. I knew nothing about taxes, nothing about 
um, EIN numbers and none of that. It was just like, I have a website, a logo, I have a business. And then someone wrote me a check in the business name. And I didn't know how to cash it. I'm like, oh, no, no, you got to write it to Ernest Dukes. Like, the Nottingham ain't nothing like that. Oh, the Nottingham, they ain't got no account for the Nottingham. And it made me think, like, I got to do something to, like, really get this stuff legitimized. Um, and so, again, through a lot of trial and error, I figured it out. I would charge people uh, $1,000 a month. My first client was Jackie Christie. This is before Basketball Wives. Her and her husband had a book out. Um, and I'm like, all right, we're going to work together. It was $1,000 a month. I'm like, I'm going to be rich. Mind you, I had no bills. Like, I was living at home. I was like 18 at the time. So I'm living at home. I have no bills. $1,000 a month is lit to me because all my friends worked at the mall. And I'm like, yeah, I, ain't, I ain't getting no thousand. You ain't getting a band for nothing. Like, you know, so I felt like I was rich. I soon realized that um, that wasn't enough money. So um, I started to increase my rate. So I went from $1,000 a month to $1,500 a month. Then uh, from $1,500 a month, I could get a couple things, but not a lot of things. And then it just kept kind of like, uh, I guess, laddering up from there. Uh, but the cool thing about it is that the person who I end up hi- who I was interning for, I actually end up hiring to run my company for me now. So her name is Chanel Green, who you know, John, uh, and that's how we met. I was her intern. Oh, I did not know that. Wow, that's so crazy. Oh my god, Chanel! Shout out to Chanel. That is so funny. Shout out to Chanel for taking a chance. Right, Ernest. What a great story about sort of your beginnings. But I'm wondering too. What was your childhood environment like that you somehow were developing these amazing resources to be independent, put things together? You're strategic, probably without even knowing you're strategic. Just what was going on in your childhood? Were your parents like strict about you doing chores and solving your own problems? They were with a helicopter parents. What was the family environment like? Um, so no, it was the complete opposite. I, I kind of, I feel like I raised myself a lot cause I was the only boy in the family. So I got a lot of, um, leniency. Like I was able to go and do whatever I wanted. I didn't really have a lot of, um, I didn't have a lot of restrictions, which in hindsight, as an adult, like I've had this conversation with my mom, I'm like, I wish I had more discipline cause I, I struggled to, uh, implement discipline into my life now as an adult. Cause I just didn't have it growing up. A lot of people are very disciplined in like paying their bills and staying on top of things. And, and I just have never really been that way. I pay my bills. Yes. But it, these are all things that I had to like, really like make an effort to learn. Like it wasn't things that were like embedded in me. Um, I came from a family where I was the first guy in the family to graduate from high school. Um, everyone in my family has been in and out of jail. Uh, there's a lot of things, which I struggle to tell like my complete story because it's someone else's story too. Like to, to say like certain things is like, well, I'm telling my mom's story, I'm telling my dad's story, and I don't feel like it's my place to tell their business. But um, I have a, a tattoo of Tupac on my arm. I have a tattoo of Lauryn Hill and Tupac. Um, but what I related the most with Tupac is on his song, Dear Mama, like I could relate to every lyric he was rapping. Um, so if you guys were that curious, you can go listen to the song and be like, oh, well, he was going through some shit. Was indeed. Um, so I said to say, like, I didn't really know what I wanted to be growing up, but I knew what I didn't want to be. I had so many examples of things I did not want to be. And so even going to LA to want to do acting, like it was an escape for me because I grew up in Orange County and people think housewives and like the beach and like the, like, um, the Hills on MTV. And it really wasn't. I grew up in a city called Santa Ana, which is like Mexico, like it's 98% Hispanic. And a lot of them are people who migrated like from Mexico, like illegally or whatever. And so like growing up, like we were a minority within our city. Like there weren't many, really any black people, um, all Mexicans. And there's a language barrier as well. So 
I know how to curse anyone out in Spanish. I know, don't even try that shit with me. I know exactly what you said, bitch, because I didn't heard it from a kid. I can order all my favorite Mexican items in Spanish. They be looking like Espanol. I'm like, por quipo, you know? My tongue be rolling. Um, and that that's just my upbringing. That's how I came up. And so it was like a huge motivating factor to just keep going, you know, because I'm like, what I know what's waiting for me if I don't continue going forward, you know, and that I knew I wasn't built for jail. I went to jail one time. Uh, it's so funny. I'll tell you a quick story. I went to jail one time. Uh, Meyer and Jasmine were with me from, from the Jasmine brand and I was driving. I had uh, suspended tags. This is back when I was charged like a thousand dollars a month. So clearly, you know, saying I didn't have all the money. I would park in Hollywood and then realize people don't live in Hollywood. Like the signs are so confusing. Like you can park at one time and then you come back and your car be gone. And so I was parking in so many different places, getting tickets all the time. And they started adding up. And I'm like, damn, I either can pay these tickets or pay my rent. Obviously, I'm going to pay my rent because I don't want to be living out of my car. A lot of people do. I don't know how they do it. Kudos to them. That was never my ministry. Um, so one time we were driving and I got pulled over and they was like, oh, your tags are expired. And I, my dumbass, and this is for everybody out here trying to make it, do not do this. My tags were expired. I knew they were expired. So what I did was I went and stole a sticker. You know, when it says like the new year, I went and stole someone else's sticker and put it on. I'm like, I'm good now. It's say 2021 now. <laughs> you know, really, it said 2020, but I took someone's 2021 sticker, which I, I have been stealing a lot. Like when I was a kid, I used to go to Barnes and Noble and steal books. But I was like, a, I was like a thoughtful thief. Like I would go and steal like the art of marketing or publicity to be like $100. And instead of walking out with it, because I'm like, I can't go to jail. I would go to like the children's section and get like Clifford the Big Red Dog and take the sticker off that book and put it on the back of the book I wanted. And I would go to the register and they would charge me like $4.99 for a book that was $100. So I was stealing, but like I still had some level of like, you know, this is kind of wrong. Um, but yeah, so I stole that sticker, went to jail for 24 hours. It was the worst experience of my entire life. And so I knew jail was not for me. And so, like I said, I knew what was over here. So I'm like, I just got to keep persevering and go in this direction because. Um, I can't do that back there. And yeah, hopefully I answered your question. I feel like I'm rambling a little bit. So if ever I'm on a tangent, just, you know, give me the church finger and I'm going to wrap it up. You know, we're on the carpet. No, wrap it up. <laughs> I could just listen. I mean, honestly, we could just listen to you talk because you have so many, first of all, you've just got a great quality and tone to your voice. It's oh, so true. melodic and you're telling really visual stories like you're a great storyteller so it's not surprising to me that you really love writing as well because mm -hmm. to me you describe and you're you're presenting your story as if it's like a movie or because that's what I'm seeing playing in my head so it all like is coming together to me it's definitely a comedy a dark comedy <laughs> <laughs> and I think too like what sticks out to me is like Ernest is a true hustler and you you you've literally exhibited that throughout your entire life and now that hustle turns into like more of a more of a formula for business now because you're hustling out here getting clients you're hustling out here working like you have the most and now this all makes sense like I'm like how does Ernest do all of that he does but now I know like now you know still in you know what you were doing still in books and things like that you just have this hustling mentality that I can appreciate. So going back to your early beginnings of your agency, you said, okay, I'm ready. I got this. I'm ready to go. You said you were not necessarily, that was a little premature. Talk mm -hmm. about some of the challenges you faced during that, those early days of it. Obviously you weren't charging enough per mm -hmm. um, for your clients, but like, what were the other things? Cause did you really know what you were doing per se? Did you really feel like you were at yes, that level? 
Yes and no, because one thing about me, even though I didn't go to college, and I'm, I'm glad you said that because I always want to remind people of this. Because people here, like, you didn't go to college, and they're like, I ain't got to go to college. Like, stop. Hold on now. Because some things you do need to go to college. Like, if I went to my dentist and he said he didn't go to college, he was just naturally gifted, I would be on the freeway getting up out of there. Like, you need to have some sort of knowledge. And so even though I didn't go to college, I would take all kind of workshops and all kind of classes and stuff like that to learn. Like, I didn't I did not learn. I just didn't learn the traditional way. And so to answer your question, like, what were some of the challenges? One of the challenges was finding people who look like me. Then once I got over that, I was like, well, I don't have to find people who look like me. Chanel is a white woman. So I'm like, okay, I don't have to find someone who necessarily looks like me, but I want to find somebody who's knowledgeable. That was another challenge. Like, we're in this information age now where people want to share. They want to tell their stories. And a lot of times I feel like it's from vanity a lot of times that they just want to, you know, be on a pedestal, which more power to them. You're still sharing the information and we can all benefit from it, right? But when I first started, there was no such thing as like an influencer or somebody wanting to do podcasting. or So I, it was really hard to find information and people wouldn't share it. And I remember I would have to pay people like, hey, like pick your brain. I was never the free pick your brain person. I always felt like things should be um, transactional in that way. Like you have knowledge, I'm going to gain from your knowledge. So let me go ahead and pay you to help me. Um, and so that was the hard part, uh, trying to find people who would be willing to share information. Um, the YouTube was limited stuff on YouTube about like what you can learn. Now you can go to like a YouTube university and like really learn everything. Um, so the challenge was trying to find the information. Also, um, when I started, like I said, I started with Jackie Christie. She then got Basketball Wives and everyone on that show, no one knew what a publicist was. All those girls were kind of new. They were like athlete wives. They weren't necessarily like actors or anything where they would have needed a publicist before. So by nature, or I guess by proximity, I was only publicist around. They all hired me. So I went from working with Jackie Christie to working with all the girls on Basketball Wives. And then from Basketball Wives, Love and Hip Hop came. So then all the Love and Hip Hoppers would see me out with these girls. They're on the red carpet. They're doing interviews with all these different outlets. And so they wanted to hire me as well. So I will say, yes, I knew some things and there were some things I didn't know. But I tell people all the time, if you're new in publicity, get a reality star. Because like literally, you can do trial and error with those type of talents and they're not going to they're going to be a little more um, grace, give you a little more grace, right? Like if I worked with uh, an actress who's on a TV show, like I worked with Kyla Pratt one time um, and we worked together for a long time. And then ultimately we didn't, we ended our relationship. She said I was too mean. She's like, the way you talk to people, like that just, you know, I don't like the way you talk. But it's interesting the way I would operate and talk to people. It's very assertive. And now I figured out a way to do it and communicate without having to be loud or having to use profanity. But in those days, I'm like, shit, I got to talk to you. I got to talk to you to get what I need done. And that didn't work for her. But when it came to the reality talent, that absolutely worked for them. When it came to the hip hop talent, it was like almost like, and I know why I started talking that way or why I started to, um, I guess, present in that way. I worked with Keisha Cole and she's like, um, when you go out, you represent me. So you talking all soft and you need to talk like this because she's very aggressive. Like she's like a woman, but I say she's like the realest nigga in a woman's body. Like she really is like a rapper and a man. And so I learned from her and I would see how people would respond to her. Like when she would come in and say exactly how I was going to be when she needed it done and how I was going to get done, people like they respected her. Like they, you know, set up straight. And so I adopted that early on and that didn't work for Kyla, for example. And so one of the trials and errors, I guess, to answer your question was learning like how to, um, manage expectations with talent, knowing that all talent is not a one size fits all thing. Like it really is a relationship. And 
just because someone doesn't want to work with you, it's not about all about like your skill set. Because after a certain level, like we all know the same context, we all can formulate a press release or whatever. It comes down to like, well, do I vibe with this person? Are they a good fit for this team or whatever? And so that was one of the things I had to learn. Also, invoicing and like getting paid on time. Um, I know within a company, like when you work for a BET or you work for a Paramount or whatever, like you're going to get your check every two weeks. For me, it wasn't like that. I would send the invoice out and I would have to damn near like fight sometimes to get the money, which is crazy because it was not even a lot of money. Like I told you, it was like $1,000 a month. Um, But I had to fight for it. And then even not even just fight for it, the money to get paid on time, but also as I started to increase in rate, like fight for the rate, like having to prove to someone like your your worth is this, because what would always annoy me going back to like the color thing, I would have people who would only pay me a thousand dollars a month. Like that was all I was worth to them. And then like when our relationship dissolved, they would be over at Anderson PR or they would be over here at Rogers and Cowan. And I'm like, ain't no one in that building doing anything for $1,000 a month. But because, like, they had the, the complexion, okay, for that money, like, they got more. And so now I had to make a decision, and even to my own detriment at times, where it's like I'm not going to take less than I deserve because I don't want you to think that this is the standard for people. And you can go and find somebody who will do it cheaper. That's fine. Go do what you want to do. But it ain't going to be over here. You know, like treat me the same way you treat these people over here because I've worked for it and I know that I can stand next to them and it's the same. It's not, there's no difference. I mean, I can, you know, kind of brag. I'm like, there's a little bit of a difference over here, but it ain't no difference in the negative where it's like, you're going to get a discount over here, but they're going to get the full rate. You know what I mean? Um, so those are trial and errors that I had to learn um, coming up. And I'm sure there were a ton of other ones, but um, those are the ones that just came to mind. Well, Ernest, I love that because I embarked on a, you know, sort of freelance consulting life after Mm -hmm. I was, I've mostly been in, uh, worked and done PR and events and marketing for companies. I worked at the New York Post for 11 years doing special events and PR. And um, after I left there in 2013, I was like, ooh, I just kind of want to figure it out. I want to, maybe I'll do my own. It is hard as can be, and there is nothing harder than working for talent. Mm-hmm. And I did a few, um, uh, was representing a few s- celebrities, and I was like, I don't think I'm built for this. <laughs> it was so, so I have this great admiration for everything that you're saying, but certainly the invoicing. I was getting paid even less than a thousand dollars a month for this like celebrity chef that I was working with. He was a celebrity chef to a basketball player and they had a book coming out and I was getting paid $800 a month and That's he true. wanted the $10,000 a month package. They and always, do. They, I, always I, do. Huh? They always do. They always the, the, do. And that's, that's how that's I learned. money with more expectations. Yes. That's how I learned the hard way after. What's popping guys. It's JG here from blowing smoke. If you're a fan of fun, insightful, and breakthrough conversations, then be sure to check out and subscribe to the Blowing Smoke podcast, a show that covers life experiences and firsthand testimonies from some of the biggest names in your favorite industries. And all that brought to you exclusively by the Revolt Podcast Network, anchored in hip hop, powered by creators. And by the way, I was happy to get the $800 because the severance was running out, right? So I was like, okay, how can I, I'm thinking, how can I leverage it to something else? And I know 
because as John said, we were prepping for your our conversation with you and your EYL interviews. Shout out to the EYL guys. I love them. Um, I got to meet them in LA at the macro party and I was fangirl. They were looking at me like, girl, we are not celebrities. I was like, in my mind, you are like a successful entrepreneur. I have so much respect, respect for. But anyways, like being able to leverage that opportunity to other things. So you're either going to be you know, you can leverage it to like the next thing. Do you want to build an, an an agency, a business out of this? I quickly realized that I wasn't cut out for that. Right. Mm. And I was like, I was always bad at the pipeline. I was like, I was so involved in the day to day and because the work is the work and there's, and John and I always say this and people are like, we want to do PR. I was like, you realize it looks easy from the outside, but to get this one result, it took six weeks to get, or there's so much work and forget if there's an, uh, uh, an event behind it and, you know, et cetera, et cetera. And I realized I needed to, to sort of pivot, but I think the thing that I, I'm so impressed with your story is because was there a time where you're like, okay, I'm just going to get like, this is, this is too much. I can go get a job at Anderson PR or IDPR and, and get that steady check and still represent talent. Was there ever a time you were like, I I'm good on this. There was a time when I said I was retiring, which is so funny because I was like 27. I'm like, who the hell retired? I didn't even have the money to retire, but I was just so frustrated. I'm like, fuck all of you guys. I am retiring. I'm going to go and bake jewelry or arts and crafts or something dumb. I mean, cause it gotta pay better than this at this point. Like, are you kidding me? Um, but I never thought about going to work for an agency also because, well, the reason why I would tell you I've wanted to not now, but I had wanted to early on, but because I never went to college every time I would look at like the LinkedIn, it was like, you need to have this level of the degree. And, and I'm like, I ain't never seen an ad that said high school diploma only. It was like, you need a degree. And so, because I didn't have that, I knew that I had to, work. I had to figure it out because where am I going to go? Um, but it's funny you say that because during the pandemic, someone reached out to me. Kanye's publicist actually, Gabe, reached out to me and was like, hey, would you come and work at Def Jam with us? And I'm like, mm, can I keep my company? Because I do well at my company. And there were other people that I was employing at the time. So I'm like, I don't want to just like leave and now they don't have nothing to fall back on. So I'm like, I still have to keep my company. And they was like, oh, we'll get back to you about it. And so I never heard anything back about it. Within maybe a couple months after, someone from Capital called and was like, oh, Gabe referred you. He said you were amazing. We want to hire you, which was crazy because I'm like, I barely knew Gabe. I didn't even know him like that. But he gave me such a uh, stellar recommendation and a referral that they hired me without doing an interview process. They didn't ask about no degrees or anything like that. And I was in the pandemic and I've always had like this imposter syndrome where it's like, what is it that I don't know because I didn't go to college? Or what is it that I don't know because I've never worked for an agency? Everything has been trial and error. And so although this is working for me, uh, I want to know like what people are doing inside the buildings. Like the buildings look so shiny and big and like you kind of like envy that access sometimes. And so I'm like, I'm in a pandemic. I'm at home. I got to come to the office, right? They said, no, it's on Zoom. Perfect. Let's do it. It was Capitol Records. And I do a, a business and branding tour every year um, called the Earnest Living Tour. And so I'm like, I'm going to go work at Capitol for three months. And then my next tour is going to be called the No Cap Tour. All real advice. Uh, I've infiltrated this system and I learned this shit. And now I'm bringing it back to all y'all so we can build our own tables and fuck these gatekeepers. And I got there and I'm like, wait, I kind of do like these people and I kind of like these artists. And so it kind of foiled my plan a little bit. So much so I was so committed to that plan 
and this is dumb advice for people as well. Get an attorney when you want to go work somewhere and you're going to get these positions and negotiate contracts. I felt like one of those rappers in the 90s. I didn't read the contract. I was like, hmm, sure, I'll sign it, whatever. Because I didn't, it wasn't about money for me. I make great money on my own. Like the money didn't mean anything. I didn't negotiate a rate. I'm like, how much is it? All right, cool. I knew I was in and out. Now that I've decided to stay longer, I'm like, I should have read this shit. Like, what is this? This is some bullshit. And you think about it, like the money and all that stuff, which is funny because people who work there are always like, well, what do you do? Like, what you have something on the side? Because like our money don't look like your money. Duh. But um, nonetheless, it's because I have my own business, you know, but I end up liking it. And so to answer your question with a long ass answer, no, I've never decided. No, I never wanted to like um, or really seriously considered leaving my company to go work for someone else. But when that opportunity did come because of the imposter syndrome and like not knowing what I didn't know, um, I did take them up on that offer. And so um, it was a fun thing because I feel like now I'm even more skilled. Like I feel like I know how to get it. I, it's like almost like. Like your grandma, like she could cook some amazing food and she may not tell you how to cook it. It's like all from the soul and they just throwing stuff in there. Like that's how I feel like I was with my PR. But now I can also tell you like how to emulate what I'm doing with actual measurements and how to do it like in a way that it can be taught to someone else and we can scale it, which ultimately is going to make your business run better when you can scale it. I don't want to have to run a business where I need to be there every day and I have to be the one. Like I want to be able to teach people how to do things and that it can run on its own. Um, and so again, hopefully I answered your question because it got real quiet and I'm like, hey, hold on now. <laughs> <laughs> again, you're talking so many gyms and I cut John off because I could see him ready to unmute his mic. Go, We're just go, fighting over here. We are. Go like, ahead. Can you share a little bit more about how you are doing both of those things? So working at Capital or working with Capital and also yeah. running your own business. And I'm sure there's other pro and, and my publicist is black and you're giving back to the community. Talk yeah. about how you're juggling that, how you're managing, how you're delegating. Uh, so you said the, the magic word delegating. So again, when I first started, it was all me. And I would have like 12 clients. It was quantity over quality. I'm like, I got 12 clients. I got $12,000 because it was $1,000 a person. Um, and it was just me. And I was all a part of that whole Diddy mantra, like no sleep. I'll sleep when I die. I love a good nap. I'm going to sleep. I, I hate to break it to y'all. Y'all stay up if y'all want to. I'm going to bed, baby. Um, and so now like it forced me to learn how to delegate. It forced me to be a team player and to learn how to lead. And so like I mentioned earlier on the call, Chanel runs our agency. And so she, uh, I will get opportunities by way of who I am as a person, which is another conversation I do want to have with y'all. Um, and I'll just mention it now. Y'all can bring it up later. I don't want to mess up your flow. But like people who work behind the scenes who brand themselves. I saw a post on the Jasmine brand. Um, I forget which talent posted it. It was um, an actor or someone. They're like, if you're on my team and you work behind the scenes, it was cash doll. You work behind, you're, you're on my team and you work behind the scenes and you want to be seen or you're building your own name, like you can't work for me. Like there are some people who truly believe they don't want anyone to brand themselves. <laughs> Funny story. I was at dinner with Wendy Williams one day and Nene Leakes and Nene's manager comes and they had a little, you know, back and forth and Wendy was not feeling him. And he was in, a, in an attempt to get her to like him. He's like, Wendy, I am accomplished. I am a real talent manager. I, I was on the cover of Deadline today. And she's like, see, I would never work with somebody on the cover of Deadline. You want to be talent, and you're not talent. That, that was a turnoff to her. What he thought was going to make her say, like, oh, okay, you're in here, and you got something going. It was, like, it made her stomach turn, the idea of, like, someone behind the scenes doing some level of press 
Like, I'm sure if Wendy knew I was here talking to y'all on a podcast, she'd probably, you know, do the same shit to me, you know? And so um, that is something I want to talk and get your opinion on. But I said that to say, I still get a lot of business because of who I am as a person and because I had branded myself in that way. And so it kind of works good. Like, people will come to me with opportunities. I always bring Chanel in. We'll, I'll be a part of the introduction meeting. And for the most part, Chanel runs it. And with Capital, like, it's so easy and seamless because that is just publicity. I strongly feel like I could do publicity with my eyes closed, on rollerblades, okay, on a, on a bumpy road, and it's going to get done. Because I've done it so long in so many crazy, like, environments that, like, it's now it's peaceful and smooth, second nature to me. Which is another thing I realized, I did not realize this before I worked there, that you guys really work nine to five. Like, I can't tell you how many calls I would get at 11 o'clock at night, 1 o'clock in the morning. I, and I didn't really know what a... Up, here's another trial and error. I'm going backwards. I didn't know all that a publicist did. So when I told people all that I did, it's like, you sound like a manager. You sound like a personal assistant. You sound like blah, blah, blah. I was doing everything. I remember going with one of my clients at two o'clock in the morning to go stalk her husband because she thought he was cheating. And I'm like, I guess this is part of PR. This is crisis management. Nigga, that ain't no damn crisis management. That's talent PR earned. That's why we're oh, crazy. That is crazy. <laughs> <laughs> You're not getting me to go with you nowhere at 2 a.m. today. Like, girl, you better just call it a day. You call a divorce attorney. And you, you got to do all that. He cheating, girl. Go to bed and let him cheat in peace. I'm like, night, I'm, night. I'm not doing that no more. But I would do the craziest things because I did, just did not know. And so coming here as a company, when the 5 o'clock hit and my phone didn't ring, I was like, oh, my God, what the hell? It really is nine to five. The weekends are the weekends. I tried to hit someone, um, one of my coworkers on the weekend. They're like, oh, we can wait till Monday for this. And I'm like, Monday? Wait till Monday? It's not an emergency? Because as an independent person, everything feels like an emergency. Everything needs to be handled in real time because it's just you directly talking to talent. And they're like, well, I see you on Instagram posting. Why are you not responding to me? You know, and so I operate it in that way. And so what I love about having gone to Capital is that it really taught me boundaries and like how to maximize my time. Like let's get as much as we can get done during the day and it can wait till tomorrow. Uh, most things can wait till tomorrow. I mean, of course, there's sometimes where it's like, we got to get this done today, but most things can wait till tomorrow. Um, so I, I did love that part of it. And, and also it taught me not to take things so personal. Like literally um, I would, I would like internalize everything as like a personal attack before going there. So like if I pitched, Kyla Pratt to um, Essence Black Women in Hollywood, for example, and she didn't get in, I would take it personal. I would think in my mind, well, Rogers and Callan probably could have got her in. How come I can't get her in? Like, her resume is there. She has the credits. And so I would, like, really, like, beat myself up over these things, like, and take everything personal. And what I realized in working at a label, when people get added and they get dropped all the time, and you realize that it's so many more moving parts to a team, because with me personally, it would just be myself and a, and a talent. Very few people had managers or agents or whatever. Um, and so it's easy to take it personal because it's only you and that one person. But now at a label, like there's so many moving parts. I'll be on calls with 60 people. And it's like, one, it taught me that like you need a team to get things done. You can't just do everything on your own, no matter how fly you think you are. You can't do it all, all by yourself. And it also taught me that like the failure is like it's never um, one person's fault. Like why something didn't work. Like if someone gets dropped, I don't, I, I don't internalize it. Like, oh my god, I got dropped because of me. No, sometimes the music just wasn't good. Sometimes the timing wasn't there. Sometimes it just wasn't in the audience for it. Like there are other things that can that play a part in why the outcome was the outcome. Um, and had not, had I not gone into a corporate setting like that, I would have never even thought about that. I'm like, I failed. 
It was me. I failed because Kylie didn't get into Essence. It's because I failed. And now I know Kylie didn't get into Essence because Kylie didn't buy a table. And Kyla's show didn't buy a table, or Kyla wasn't nominated, or Kyla wasn't presenting. And there is a protocol. It's not even as personal as I was taking it. Like, y'all don't respect her. It's not about respect. It's the business, ultimately, and people want sponsorships. So somebody will buy a table, and they will invite you to sit at their table. Or your show will buy a table, they'll invite you to sit at the table. Or your friend is being nominated or honored, and they will invite you to be a guest. It's not as black and white as I was looking at it. And, and so shout I, out to you for your Essence Black Women in Hollywood table this this past season. I bought it. That's why I bought the table, honestly, because I had been gotten so many no's for so long. Like, nope, 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 nope. It was like almost like a song. Like, nope, 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 nope. And eventually went from nope to nope. And I'm like, nope. Like, you know how disrespectful a nope is? Like, no is one thing. Like, no. <laughs> they're like, nope. I'm like, oh, okay, bitch. I got you. <laughs> And so I'm like, yes, here's the check, and okay, and where's my table? And so it was, it, was like a, it was a personal thing for me. I can honestly say, and I love Essence, I I wasn't as invested as most people in the room were. Like some people, like they like they look forward to. It. I'd never been before. To me, it was almost like that. Beyonce's publicist's black child. It was like built in like revenge in a weird way. I put that on my jacket, like to show you, like I'll show you, nigga. And then this was like, I'll show you. Watch me get this table. So I can afford it. I'm going to get the table. And I love being able to invite people who had never gone to the, to the um, brunch. Because a lot of my friends were like, I've never been invited. And they take it personally, too. Like, I've never been, like, Jasmine Brown, I've never been invited. It's not personal. And so having a table, it's like, if I'm going to pay for the table, y'all can always have a seat at my table. Like, that's why I built the table for, so that I can share it with my community. And I had a great time. I actually really enjoyed it. Now, I don't think I need to pay and go again. Okay, but um, <laughs> I will always cherish the time that I did go. It's 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 time for Capitol Records to buy a table. We need more black women in music and black women in Hollywood. We definitely do. And that's part of a larger conversation that, again, our offline conversation is going to be so lit. It's stuff we can't say for public consumption. But John, John and I have our earnest list that we're oh, going to yeah. go over. But uh that's really, I mean, John, I know you were sitting at the table and what a beautiful table it was, I must say. The, yeah, it was. It was. I mean, yeah, it was It was great. And thank you again, Ernest. You know, I've, I've given you so much praise and, and appreciation uh, privately. I'm thank glad you, you again. Could yes. Um, now, I wish I would have called you, though, before the, the brunch to like kind of go over like what to wear. Because John came in with like, I'm like, is this Gucci? Is this Bone <laughs> I just feel like this, these old things, these old rags. John came, he was serving. I'm like, all right. <laughs> I'm, I like, I'm, I'm back. I'm back in LA. I gotta, gotta, gotta show off. Um, bring a look through. Um, but no, thank you again, seriously. Um, but no, okay, you've done so much. Like you've, you talent. You've worked with brands and, and networks like BET, music industry. Like, what is next for you? What do you feel like you want to kind of like? What's your like Mount Everest you want to kind of accomplish next to your career? You've produced, which we really haven't even talked about that much. Um, like, what we haven't is, talked about your tour? Your tour, your, yeah. Like, you like, pour it back into the my publicist is black community. I mean, you just doing it all, artist. I'd be trying. I'd be trying as long as I feel led to do it. Because there's so many things that I would get in my head about. I'll look on Instagram like, oh, this person's doing that. I have to do that. Or I want to do this. But it's like for me now, it's like whatever you feel led to do and feels authentic to me. Um, so to answer your question, the Mount Everest for me, I eventually would love to be like a, a TV producer. Um, not in the way that I've done before, because all the producing I've done for the most part has been unscripted. 
uh, I would like to be something in the vein of like a Ryan Murphy or a Shonda Rhimes where I can create scripted programming. I would love, like when I see these big deals that Shonda Rhimes got 500 million at Netflix, I'm like, me too, girl, put me on. Like that's my ultimate goal is to do something like that. Um, something where I'm tapping more into my creativity. Um, Cause with publicity, it's not, that's why I love marketing a little more than publicity. Cause I feel like I get to be more creative. Uh, with publicity, it's not as creative for me. I feel like it's very structured. Um, and so ultimately, I'm a creative at heart. And so I want to do something that leans more towards the creative energies that I'm putting out into the world. So for me, I would love to create more scripted programming. Um, and like I said, a Shonda Rhimes, Ryan Murphy kind of way. That's my ultimate goal in life. Tyler Perry. But Ernest Dukes. Well, we're definitely here for that. I, I, I do have a, I w- want to go back to a couple of things and, and I know we have you for a limited time today. So we want to honor that because we know your time is valuable, but you talk about the challenges now of like publicity and how this world is, the publicity world is very different. I've been at this longer than you and John, maybe combined. I don't know, but I've been at it a, a long, long time. And to your point, um, even though I went to college, my degree is not in publicity per se and public relations. In fact, that was the one class I didn't want to take. And really? so most of us, I feel like, well, we might have a comms background. Most of us didn't major in PR. Like we didn't have a sense of what that was. And certainly most of us are learning on the job, right? We're, and a lot of us are just making it up as we go along. And we certainly, I grew up at a time or came up at a time, there was no social media, right? Mm-hmm. And, and it was a big thing to get your stuff in. Like when I was in Atlanta, the AJC, now the AJC barely prints, right? So everything is digital and social media. And you know, you're driving, you know, more conversation perhaps from social media than you are from getting your client a hit on in a publication. And mm-hmm. especially for black media outlets, they're smaller and smaller, right? How many yeah. of us are actively pitching a lot of the traditionally black newspapers at this point, right? Yeah. It's sort of a shame, but newspapers aren't as big of a factor as they once were. Now it's, and honestly, in the entertainment world, it's it's shrinking still, right? Yeah. Entertainment Weekly just stopped printing. So I work in film publicity. And by the way, people answer emails on the weekend. You work, you do junkets. I was like, maybe I need to be in music on in my next career. Because John, tell him, tell him, we are always on our phone. Always on, yeah. No, you will be answering emails at 10 o'clock. Like there are no boundaries per se. And you do try to set them. It just depends on what's like sort of going on, but you are expected to be always available. Even on vacation, we both work through vacations always. Mm. Um, And I always sort of have. So um, all of that to say, I'm curious to know just, are there new things in PR and in publicity that you can speak to new should you be doing something differently in the world? What's, what's moving the needle for your clients or, or, or um, the talent at Capitol Records? Because I have to tell you, it does seem somewhat super challenging nowadays just thinking about how the, the PR world and, and the media outlets are shrinking. I'm curious to know your thoughts about that. Um, it is shrinking, but I, I find that eventually... Like it's going to become like a hybrid, like marketing and publicity when it comes to certain industries, because they kind of go hand in hand with one another. 
Um, like even at Capital, there's a marketing department, a publicity department, a digital department. They all a radio department. They're all the same thing to me. Like they're all going to ultimately be you presenting to the public, and that's your publicist needs to be involved in that. Honestly, um, so I feel like it. If I had to like say like where I thought it was going, I think it's going to be more hybrid people, like people who do publicity and marketing um, versus just publicity. Because like you said, like it's, it is shrinking. And what you find now also is that, and this is where a lot of people are conflicted and they have various opinions on, a lot of these publicity are, I'm sorry, a lot of these press outlets are now becoming like, you have to pay to be on them. So then it's like, it's not even about pitching anymore. Yeah. For the most part, there are some that like, you know, it's still like, you're not going to, you still have to like be invited to come on and you have to still have a genuine interest, but there are a lot of people who you can pay to play, you know? And so that's not the job of a publicist. Like we're pitching, like we're trying to like really convey a story and sell you on something. And now it's like, you don't have to sell me. Like you just got to send that, send that bread over baby and we'll get it going. Um, also, I think that outlets are changing and becoming more digital too. Like not even digital, but like in like Instagram, for example, and now I find myself pitching people who are on TikTok. And I'm like, TikTok? Like, they're doing press on TikTok now and Instagram or Twitter, Twitter spaces. Like, there's so many different, like, um, mediums, I guess, for people to consume content. And so I would say, like, for me, I'm always just trying to stay on top of what's happening. Like, I'm still, ultimately, I'm still, like, a student. I'm still that guy who was still in books. And so now I don't have still books. I can just, like, turn on my notifications on the people who I think are cool and they're doing some cool stuff. And every time you post, I'm the first one to see what's happening, you know, like really trying to study and learn, like, what are people doing and trying to just stay on top of it. Um, I don't know if that, again, answered your question. It but. does. I am curious to know, would you share, like, some of the people that you think are are worthy of, of, of us noting that you really are like, oh, they're doing some cool things or interesting things? Because we're always learning, too. John gets yeah. my emails in the middle of the night where I'm like, I went down a deep dive on YouTube or TikTok. And TikTok is a whole nother beast, yeah. honestly, I know. I know. at this point. Um, so uh, Instagram-wise, so I love following, I love following um, the translation page. Um, I think that we are a translation, and that is Steve Stout. I love like how they just like put their content up. I love like seeing the campaigns and stuff that they're doing, like really looking into their creativity and what they have going on. Um, there is another uh, publicity account I follow. I think it's PR Manifesto that I think is really good. Like they're always love giving, them. yeah, giving good tips. Um, black representation is good. That's how I initially yeah. met y'all. I was stalking their page for black representation and like we're doing a, uh, uh, what do they call it? Like a fireside chat. I'm like, what is that? I don't even know what that is. But I'm like, John from NBC Universal. And I'm like, gotta be in on the chat. And so I literally went and signed up through being on oh, Instagram. You did do that. I forgot, yeah. I forgot about that. Exactly. Oh my God. My goal was to meet and to talk to John. And literally I was on there. And I feel like it was a lot of entry level people on the chat. Like they were like, so what is marketing? What is, and I'm like, oh, girl. <laughs> So when it came to me, I'm like, how can an agency get in touch with you to pitch? And do you guys feel like you should hire more black agencies to do what it is that you guys have going on? And then he was like, oh, okay. Um, all right. I was like, okay. <laughs> and so that's how we connected. And so I do think it's important to follow those type of accounts. Um, and there are other ones too, that they're not necessarily accounts that I follow all their content, but I search keywords. So like if I wanted to look at like, marketing agency or I'll go multicultural agency or, or publicity. I'll look through like the feed and then whatever like stands out to me, I'll maybe like follow those accounts. But um, those are the ones that I, are my go-tos. 
Super helpful. I, I, I'm great on the Instagram stalking. I stalked your page a little, you know, uh, I was already, I think, following you. And of course, my publicist is back. I have a couple more questions before we sort of wrap. I'm curious to know, you talked about um, you're not necessarily the most disciplined. Mm-hmm. How are you organizing yourself? Are there any tools? Like, do you always, I got my trusty notebook right here because I'm taking notes, as you call. Do you take notes? Are you always on, how are you just keeping yourself organized? Do you use your Google calendar or journal? What's, what keeps you on top of everything? So now I would say I am extremely disciplined now just because I have to be with so many moving parts. So I rely on my calendar and I have a setup like when people send like a Zoom in, but it just, I don't know how it happens. It automatically adds it to my calendar. So I don't have to go and manually and put it in, but my calendar is important. Um, that's something I use all the time. Also, I am a person who likes to write. I have a friend, her name is uh, Dr. Stacia Pierce, and she said to me a long time ago, like, what's written is real. Um, and so although I can type it in my phone, like, it's something about writing it and seeing it and being able to, like, manually or physically cross something off your list that feels good to me. Um, so I do I have so many notebooks. I go through notebooks all the time. Um, Slack is good for me for communication because sometimes, like, if I showed you how many, let me see, how many unread text messages do I have? Um 1,045 unread text messages right now. Um, so text messages give me anxiety a lot of times. So like Slack, the things that are important, like I like to go on Slack instead of texting. Um, that's important to me to use. Um, from a PR perspective, uh, I, for press release and stuff, I love to use Constant Contact. I used to use MailChimp, but I like Constant Contact a little more. Um, also, Scission is good when you're looking for contacts. Um, for public, you know, for publicists on the rise or people who do publicity. Um, everyone just don't know everybody. That's what I used to think too. Like, how do y'all know so many people? Oh my God, there must be a million happy hours going on. Y'all just meeting people. But I had no idea there was like a PR database where you can go and find contacts. So I have Cision for that. And then from the marketing side, I use um, influencer intelligence to get contacts for influencers and to see like their metrics and their analytics. Um what else do I like to use all the time? I'm a, a genius at Canva to make a quick little graphic. Although I do like to outsource my graphics because it'll take up all my time because I'm so meticulous. Like, is that centered? Is that the right font? Um, so I do have a graphic designer that I hire, but Canva's fun just to like, you know, play around on. Um, and yeah, I'm pretty sure there's some I'm forgetting. Uh, but those are like the ones that I really love to use. Ernest, I feel like I've learned so much about you in this last hour conversation that you I didn't know, know before. I'm kidding. <laughs> right. I'm like, I need I need a book. I need another podcast. I need a, 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 a mini series. I need it all. Like a full feature Correct. film. There's so much. There's so much I know you have to unpack. But you have such a powerful story. Because, so again, I think powerful. as we've been looking at all of our guests over the past few seasons, we all have such different stories. But I know mm-hmm. all those different stories are connecting with people in different ways. And... Mm-hmm. I, I, that's what we want to bring to light for with Black on the Scene of really just literally spot, spotlighting various Black individuals throughout this industry. So two more questions for you. We're going to wrap. I want to take a moment to talk about um, my publicist is Black and this, it as an organization, it as an entity and, and what you guys' aspirations are uh, short term and long term because Didi and I love what you're doing. Obviously, we're Black, so we are black definitely publicists, we're Black publicists. <laughs> Um, we're, we're two of 30 that are around the industry. So yeah. we want to, we want to, um, a extend ourselves out to you guys. If you guys ever need anything, panels, 
conversations, whatever, we're mm-hmm. here. If there's any kind of advisory board or anything like that, we are totally here for that. Um, again, love all the, the founders of it. But again, like talk about what your ambitions are with it, though. Like, what do you ultimately want to see come from the organization? So ultimately, what I would love to see is. I have a couple of things. So one, I would like to see us give awards out. I would like to do like like how they do the Essence Women in Brunch because there is nothing really for publicists. Like even when you look at like the Billboard like Hot 100 list, like they're not putting publicists on those lists. Like women in music, like publicists can't be on the list because technically publicists are the ones pitching the people to be on the list. And I think like we're such a forgotten like role a lot of times. Like when you even like when you see like people post, and this bothers me sometimes. Like you'll see like an artist post. Like a magazine photo shoot or something like they're on the cover of a magazine and you'll tap it and it'll be like hair, makeup, wardrobe, production assistant, style, all this stuff. Where is the publicist who got this shit Preach. for you? Preach. They, like, Preach. Correct. Them. Well, like really, my goal is to like really instill or not even instill the value in these people because I know we all know our true value, but like to celebrate publicists out loud because I think that we're such a uh, important role on any team, and it's the first role you forget about. You know, one of the uh, first pieces of advice I got in this job yeah. was that this is a thankless job, and people will never say thank you or appreciate that. So literally, I was like instilled in my mind, and mm-hmm. I I can't say that I've never received any kind of kudos or praise or or or, or thank you, but I do know that in our, in our business, it's so fast paced. Sometimes there's not even time to even sit down and, 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 and really sit in the success or sit in the wins that you do because you're on to the next thing. Yeah. Um, so I, I do love that you said that because I do think we are people, publicists, as in the we, are, we work so hard. We put so much time in it. It's literally our blood, sweat, and tears. It is a, it is a very intense job. And I do think if there is an opportunity to celebrate ourselves, um, again, as black publicists, mm-hmm. uh, that would be amazing. So Didi and I actually have some thoughts about that that we're going to talk about offline. Because So that's I mean, just like on the surface level from like a vanity, because I want to get dressed up and go to the awards, you know? What yeah, I mean? well, listen, we deserve I, that. Ernest, I have to tell you, sorry, love, I have to tell you, we. I was just at the Publicist Guild Awards in LA, mm-hmm. and I can count on one hand the number of black folks in the room, essentially, maybe two hands. And one black publicist, the amazing Jackie Bazan, was up for an award. No one else. And I, I was just telling John, I said, we have to do something to remedy this. And because it's not okay. And I said, we're gonna talk to Ernest about it. And then you bring, I was like, we deserve awards too. And then you bring this up, and I'm like, we are aligned. This yeah. is perfect timing. Yeah, and that's the more it feels vain to be like, yeah, an award show. Okay, cool. That's one thing. And also, I would like to create, like, a workshop. Like, a, um, one of my favorite things to, like, consume is the Masterclass series. Like, I would watch people's Masterclasses who I don't even care to be in that industry just because I like people who are smart. Um, so there was one about, like, modeling. I'm, like, in here, like, trying to get my pose and all. Never do I want to be a model, but it was just interesting to me. One was about cooking. I would love to create a Masterclass series like that with publicists. Um, I also would like to do some sort of, like, a scholarship where we can give people – scholarships for not necessarily like school per se, but like resources. So like I said, Cision is something I use all the time. It costs us, I think, I have to ask Chanel, but I think it was like $3,000 a year for that. Um, Influencer intelligence was like somewhere like more expensive than that. Like I think probably closer to 10 or something crazy. And so you have to have these tools and resources in order to even compete within this industry. And so I think a lot of times like we don't like 
skill set. We just lack resources. And so I would love to put together some sort of scholarship where we can give resources to people who are coming up. And also, I would like to focus a lot on Black males. No shade to the women, but I do feel like we lack representation and we lack... um, I think we lack people even, we lack consideration a lot of times. Like I put on Twitter, I'm like, where is, there's no award for like the black men in Hollywood. There's no black, nothing. And I know we're pushing women to the forefront because women are marginalized. Um, but I think within this specific community, black men are beneath women in this industry. Like there's even more of a minority within this specific industry. Um, and so I don't want to ever like just cut them out, you know? Um, so I, I find myself oftentimes talking to not just the black men, there are some just men of color within this industry and like giving them advice or like just being there to be like an ear to listen. Um, cause mental health is real. And like I said, I, inter- like I would, you know, internalize a lot of those like failures and wins coming up. There are people who still do that. Like everyone's not as evolved, but some people are still in, they're still bringing that computer to the office. That's still the level they're at, or they're still at the level where, you know, they chasing their money down. And so like being on the other side of that. Like, I love to be able to tell people, like, it gets better. And, you know, this is what you should don't settle for what they're offering you or don't settle for whatever the circumstances are. Create your own circumstances. And if you're not valued or appreciated, then get the fuck on. Or I'll tell them to move on in my clean version way of saying it. But, um, yeah, I would like to just be more resourceful to our community. And bring us together because a lot of times John will know somebody or you'll know somebody, I'll know somebody, but we don't all know each other. And it really is so small that we should be able to like say like, oh, yeah, I may not know this person personally, but I'm familiar with that person. You know what I mean? Ernest, I hate that we have to wrap this up because you gave us a master class, my friends. Really? definitely have just shared so much of yourself, so much wisdom, so many resources, and truly inspiration Um, for somebody who didn't have, you know, there was no nepotism involved. It was sheer hard work, putting in the hours, believing in yourself. There were wins, losses, but you just kept putting one foot in front of the other. And I just have to, we're celebrating you and thanking you for everything that you're doing to pour into our community from Black entertainment certainly Black publicist. Everything that you're saying is so much that we feel and talk about, but this gives us concerted effort and organization to try to change things and move things forward. So I celebrate you for that and being so heart forward. And as we close, as I we mentioned earlier, Black on the Scene is our love letter to Black entertainment and to folks like you in the industry that really, really rep hard for us, lift us up, show us who we are and who we can be. Would you mind sharing your love letter to Black entertainment and maybe, you know, what it's given to you? We know you give a lot to it. What is what is it given to you? Um, I feel like a love letter sounds so personal. Like, oh my gosh, I should have wrote something out. Um, but what I will say is that... Um, to those who are listening, right? Like it, we all have our hard days. Um, I'm a firm believer in um, collaboration over competition. I know like, because it is so limited um, within like the black space, like we find ourselves being so competitive a lot of times. And I feel like I would not be where I was if I didn't collaborate with other people or people weren't um, 
confident and secure within themselves and say, hey, come over here. I'll teach you something or I have an opportunity for you because um, by helping someone else, it's never going to take away from you. You know what I mean? I feel like for me, the reason why I am so blessed is because I have helped so many people. Also, um, there is a scripture that my mom instilled in me early on that I even have tattooed on this arm. Um, and it's Jeremiah 29, 11, where it says, for I know the plans I have for you, plans to prosper you, not to harm you, to give you hope and a future. And I feel like as entrepreneurs and as people in this space, like you have to hold true to that, knowing that like God is not going to bring you this far to leave you. You have to know he has a bigger plan for you, no matter what type of microaggressions you deal with in the workspace or uh, feeling that no one sees you or you're not being seen or validated or heard. Know that there are people out there who look like you, who have gone through what you have gone through or, or will go through. And there are people who are more than willing to help you if you ask. Um, that's another thing. Like I remember I would always be like, I got these haters. They be hating on me. They don't want to help me. And it's like, well, did you ever ask anybody? No. Like, it's almost like that girl in the bar who'd be flirting just by looking at the guy. Like, she ain't never said hello or nothing, but you expect, like, someone to know that you're interested just because you're staring at them, like, with that smoky eye. For me, I was that person where it's like, well, they see me out here struggling. They, they don't want to help me. They saw me. They saw what I pulled up in. They can give me some advice. I didn't ask. And a lot of times you have not because you asked not. So humble yourself and put yourself forward, and you would be surprised at, like, what would come back to you just by simply asking somebody or showing up as your authentic self. Um, there's a caption I put up on Instagram a while ago and it said, uh, be yourself so that people who are looking at looking for you can find you. You know, like you have to be yourself within this in industry. And that is uh, be a whole other podcast to talk about. The, I took a long time to become myself. Like I said, even like the whole, um, like I said, the way I would present that Kyla was uh, not in agreement with that. That was a part of not wanting to be yourself. I'm like, I have to talk more masculine. I got to put on this deep voice when I'm talking to people because I need you to respect me. And you don't have to do that, baby. Be exactly who you are, and you're going to get exactly what is meant for you. And so, to my my love letter to the black entertainment industry is know that there is room for you, and that you are enough. Like, just show up as yourself because we're looking for you. I almost made it through the podcast without crying. Oh wow. <laughs> usually when usually one of our guests will say something so profound and you've been saying profound things all around, but John makes fun of me because I'm waterworks. And then you got me at the end, Ernest. Thank you. We thank you. <laughs> yes, baby. We thank you. We love you. We see you. We're here for you and the community. And we just cannot wait to see um, how we can work together and 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 really, really support each other. I had, I had a great time. Thank you guys for even inviting Thank you me. so much. Thank you so much, Ernest. You're amazing. See you guys next time. Black on the scene. We out. Bye. We out. Thank you to our guests and to you for listening to this amazing episode. We'd love if you would leave us a rating, review, and share your own love letter for Black entertainment. And make sure you follow us on social media at Black on the Scene. Keep shining, everybody. When something happens to your kitchen, you might say, This is ludicrous. But that won't fix your home. That will only get you the rapper, Ludicrous. Having trouble? Don't panic. Don't be alarmed. You need to file a claim? Holla at State Farm. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. That's right. You can file a claim on the app or call us. Thanks, Mr. Chris. No matter how ludicrous the situation, like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. State Farm, Bloomington, Illinois.